Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Avley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh and new way. Now, let us resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke, patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, my friends, good uh, afternoon to some of you, good evening to others of you. This is Pastor Brad Abley with a Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God. And as always, I'm so grateful to God for the opportunity to open up His Word with you and to believe with you that your life and my life will be changed and transformed forevermore. Now, I also want to welcome, uh, this broadcast is now working, it's now airing, I should say, in Latin America and in the Caribbean and even in Cuba. And I want to just say, bienvenidos, and I want to say to you, Dios te ama, and uh, es una lengua muy bonita, ¿verdad? I, I speak Spanish, I'm a little bit rusty, but I just said it's a beautiful language for those of you that don't speak Spanish. And bienvenidos is welcome and Dios te ama is uh, God loves you. So we welcome those of you who are in uh, Latin America and speak Spanish. We are so glad that you're joining us in this broadcast. And we just want to ask you to let your friends and your loved ones and your neighbors and your co-workers know about this broadcast as well. Please get the word out to them. The benefit of this broadcast is that I'm teaching you how to study the word verse by verse in its context, and we are going through the gospel of Luke. This is the 18th message in our series, which is entitled the Know Your Faith series. Now what, and it just doesn't get better than that, my friends. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it is vital for us to know our faith and not just to know our faith for ourselves, but to be able to, to teach others, to disciple others, to share the gospel, to encourage people. And the only way we can do that is to know the word of God and to let the word of God change us and transform us. That's what these messages are all about. Now today, we are in Luke chapter 3. You say, wait a minute, you, you've preached, this is your 18th message, and you're only in Luke chapter 3? Yes, exactly. That's by design. Why should we rush through the Word of God? Why should we move through it too quickly? For what? Just because we want to end it uh, quicker than what? Who says that we are supposed to finish it, you know, who says? Why? It's better to move through the Word of God slowly. When you're eating a delicious meal, let's say it's a four-course meal or a five-course meal, do you dump it in your throat all at once, or do you devour it like a dog in just five minutes? No. If you are being fed the a delicious meal then you want to take your time with it. You want to enjoy it. You want to eat it slowly and and taste it. And, you know, I think of David when he says in Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. And so the point is that we want to take our time going through the word of God and we want to, by the help of the Holy Spirit, to glean every single thing that we can. And I'm sure you agree with that. Well, we're in Luke 3, verse 1. Before we open up the word of God, let's pray. Father, glorify your name in this broadcast. We cannot get anything out of this broadcast unless you teach us by the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. We ask that you would lead us and guide us into all the truth. We ask that you would help us to hear with faith and discernment. And we pray that you would do what only you can, and that is to take your word and conform us into the image of Jesus. And I pray, we pray that you would bear great fruit presently and eternally in our lives and through our lives for the glory of the Father and of the Son. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. Luke chapter 3, verse 1, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, that is the Roman, um, the, the Roman, the head of the Roman government, uh, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was Tetrarch. Now, Tetrarch is a word that means a ruler over a fourth of a given territory. And this isn't Herod the Great. This is uh, Herod the Great died in, um, uh, I'm sorry, this is Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great, uh, who ruled from BC uh, 4 BC to AD about 39. So again, I'm sorry, I got a little confused on that. Herod is, is Herod the Great's son. His name is Herod Antipas. Uh, and he was Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iterea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, why is Luke mentioning all these names? What It doesn't seem very important to us, but remember, Luke is not writing directly to us. He is writing to Theophilus. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Theophilus was a prominent government official. And what did Luke say in, in the opening of his gospel? He says, he says, inasmuch, I'm looking at Luke 1, verse 1 now. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, that is to compile uh, it is an orderly arrangement and a, and then an account is a is a um, narrative of a verified well witnessed and attested report. So he says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us just as they were handed down to us, by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, that is, the apostles, shared everything that Luke writes with Luke. Um, so he says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning 
were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully. It ref this word points to the painstaking character of the research, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. Now, the reason why I went back and mentioned uh, the beginning of the Gospel of Luke is that I want to show you why Luke is giving so much detail in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Because, as I've said before, and I want to say over and over and over again, the Christian faith is an historical faith. The Judaism, Judaism, the, the faith of the Jews was an historical faith. So much archaeology has discovered names, dates, places, foods, shopping lists, and it, and the, it just goes on and on so much that there is actually a, a an archaeological study Bible. And that is, it's a study Bible that, that throughout um, brings forth <clears throat> archaeological discoveries of what is written in the Word of God. So Luke wants to make sure that he demonstrates to Theophilus the accuracy of every single thing that he writes. Now, there's another thing I want to point out uh, where Luke refers to the high priesthood of Ananias, uh, I'm sorry, of Annas and Caiaphas. Well, you can only have one high priest at a time. So what does this mean that that Luke refers to the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Well, Annas was really the power behind the high priesthood. But uh, the Roman government deposed Annas. That is, they, they removed him from his position as high priest, and they gave it to his son-in-law, Caiaphas. However, everyone knew that the real authority in the high priesthood was Annas. So that's interesting that Luke is careful to mention that as well. And so then he says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Remember John's miraculous birth that he would give witness to the coming of the Messiah. And there was a major expectation of the coming of the Messiah. Now what's important here to bring out is that at the end of uh, Luke chapter 2, we have this account about Jesus, who was 12 years old and was in Jerusalem uh, talking about the things of God with the religious leaders. And then in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, we the scene switches to uh, John the Baptist. Well, I want to point out to you that at the the, in between, at uh, I'm sorry, from Luke 2, verse 52, to Luke 3, verse 1, 18 years had elapsed. It's important to bring that out because a lot of times, or often, when we're reading Scripture, we really don't have any idea that, that often a lot of time elapses, goes by, before another event takes place. And now at this point, 
This baby, John the Baptist, who was miraculously born and filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in his mother Elizabeth's womb, is now ready to uh, bring an announcement that the Messiah is not only coming, but he is here. Now, my friends, it had been 400 years since the last Old Testament prophet at the close of the book of Malachi. And now this new prophet comes on the scene later. Jesus would declare he was the greatest prophet of all. Why? Because he had the privilege of being the forerunner of the Messiah. And verse 3 of Luke 3, he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now, why is that important? Again, as I've mentioned to you before, but I'll continue to mention to you again, Luke, just like all the biblical writers, is demonstrating the unique phenomenon of prophecy and fulfillment. There's no other book in the world like scripture, like the Bible, that has so much prophecy and fulfillment. And Isaiah was really the prophet of the Messiah. He prophesied in, in specific, extensive detail the coming of the Messiah. Well, Luke is going to quote Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 3 and 4 when he writes, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Wow, there's a lot there, and a lot of it is metaphorical. Uh, that is, it, it, when it says, make his path straight, every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be brought low, those are metaphors. What's happening here primarily is, this is a description of what was to be done in preparation for the coming of a king. Back in Isaiah chapter 40, it is to make roads. It is, it is to remove every obstacle from the arrival of a king. And that's what is being said here as well by Luke, quoting Isaiah, that the king is coming. Now, when the king comes, as we'll see later in Luke, a lot of things happen. When people respond to him, their paths become straight. That's what the psalmist always was crying out for. Is he said, make my paths straight before you. Not in so much a literal sense as in a spiritual sense of help me to walk uprightly before you. And then when he says every ravine will be filled, what does he mean by that? Well, he is using a metaphor to say that the work of the Messiah is going to raise up the humble and the broken and change them and transform them. Transform them. And then when he says every mountain and hill will be brought low, oftentimes mountains and hills in the Bible 
are metaphors for pride and arrogance. Well, the work of the Messiah is going to bring brokenness to the proud, to the haughty, to the arrogant. It is going to break them. And uh, and then he says, the crooked will become straight. Well, again, when people come to faith in Jesus the Messiah, that crookedness becomes righteousness. And then he says, and the rough roads smooth, again, in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And then in verse 6, all this leads up to all flesh will see the salvation of God. You know, my friends, as I was studying this before coming on to this broadcast, I had this thought, you know, I am a recipient of verse 6. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are a recipient of verse 6. You are a fulfillment of prophecy. I am a fulfillment of prophecy. I am part of that all flesh seeing the salvation of God. And what is the salvation of God? It is God the Son, Yeshua, uh, which means salvation or victory or deliverance. That is Jesus' Hebrew name. And then his Greek name, Jesus, also means the same thing. Salvation, victory, deliverance, it's all wrapped in to one. That's what Jesus does. And John the Baptist is getting the people ready. He's not the Messiah, but he is the forerunner of the Messiah, preparing the way for them to receive the Messiah and get right with him. Now, again, this is this is a major, major thing in Israel at the time. Why? Because, as I said at the outset, the Jewish people have been waiting at least 400 years for the prophecies from the Old Testament to be fulfilled in the Messiah. And John is saying they are about to be fulfilled. You better be ready. And what is he also communicating? That this coming of the Messiah is for repentance. It is to get right with him. It is it is to deliver men, women, and children from their sins. But you see, at the time, the Jewish people were expecting a military a conquering hero who would destroy the Romans and bring to fulfillment the prophecies concerning Israel that they would one day rule the world. But this was not the point or the plan of Jesus' first coming. It is the point and plan of his return. Now, my friends, there's another thought that I had as well. John the Baptist came to prepare Israel for the first coming of the Messiah. You know, at the time, the days were dark. Israel was uh, dominated by the Roman government. The Abrahamic and Davidic covenants of Israel, God causing Israel to rule the world, they hadn't been fulfilled. Uh, spiritually, they were very dark. The people were living under a heavy burden of apostate religious leaders, legalistic religious leaders, hypocritical religious leaders. Religion in Israel had been absolutely corrupted by the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, as you're going to see, for example, if you want to 
Look at it. Study Matthew 23 and see what Jesus says about the religious leaders during those days. And so the people are being crushed under a load of wicked religious leadership. And that is because the religious leaders did not really have a right relationship with God and they didn't really obey the word of God. Now John brings hope. John brings the hope of the coming of the Messiah. But the coming of the Messiah is not going to do the people any good unless they repent of their sins. And when they repent of their sins, it should be demonstrated in how they live. And that explains why he says in verse 7, so he began to say to the crowds. Now, Matthew's account uh, focuses on John rebuking the scribes, the Pharisees, and, and all the religious leaders. Luke is concerned about all people. And so that's what Luke's focus is on. So, G, so John began to say to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, this is pretty strong language. He says, you brood of vipers, which is snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What in the world does that mean? Well, the idea there is that a wildfire is, is raging in the wilderness and snakes come up out of their holes and, and it, the, the heat, when the heat comes up, it causes the snakes to crawl out of their holes. And snakes in scripture often refer to God's enemies. So in effect, what John is saying to the people whose hearts are not right with God, you right now are enemies of God. Well, that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, uh, that, that before we were saved, we were considered enemies of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, we were, we were children of wrath. You see, the Bible makes it very clear how God views us when we are not in Christ. And what that is meant to do is it's meant to give us a sense of urgency to get right with God. My friend, are you right with God? Have you had your sins forgiven? Where will you spend eternity? Do you know? And when you die and you stand before God and he says to you, why should I let you into heaven? What will you say? There's only one answer that you can give him. Do you know what that answer is? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be born again, to have a brand new start in life to have your sins forgiven, and to know that you can have eternal life when you die. And the thing is that none of us knows when our last moment will be on this earth. You want to make sure that you're right with God, and I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. And so John says to the people, you brood of vipers, you, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So salvation is a good thing for those whose hearts are prepared, but it's also a warning of judgment for those whose hearts are hard.
And he goes on and he says in verse 8, Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. You see, the problem back in those days is that the Jewish people thought that because they were descendants of Abraham, they automatically went to heaven. They were thinking that they were right by right with God by virtue of their heritage. And John the Baptist is saying, no, you are not. You are only right with God through repentance and faith in the Messiah. So this is a very strong message. Well, you see, their religious leaders had corrupted the truth of the word of God that we are justified by faith. That is, we are declared righteous by faith. And so he gives another warning and he says, Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That, my friends, is a very sober warning. I was starting to say, but I didn't get to it, that John was trying to prepare people for Jesus' first coming. And then Jesus, in much of his teaching, is trying to get the world ready for his second coming. And I don't have time to go into the warnings that he gives about his return, but he does say over and over and over that people are not going to be ready for his return. My friend, you can be ready right now if you will humble yourself. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. He is the one that will give you eternal life. In fact, he said, no man comes to the Father except through me. Are you ready to receive him as your Lord and Savior? Then pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You are the only Savior of the world. You are the only Lord of the world. And I ask you to become my Lord and Savior. And I will live for you and I will serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have heard my prayer. And thank you, Jesus, that you are now my Lord and my Savior. And friend, if you've not been living rightly before God, then repent of your sins and the Lord will forgive you and cleanse you and change you and transform you. Until next time, this is Pastor Brad Abley. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife, Maureen, need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradably.com. 
You can also check out his two devotionals and commentaries on Amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that the Lord would stir you daily to have a greater heart after Him in every way.